Hey guys, welcome to The Hollywood Guide, a podcast designed to provide insight about the inner workings of the TV and film industry in Los Angeles. Each episode, we talk to someone currently working and living in LA and find out everything you need to know to navigate the entertainment capital of the world. If you're an amateur writer, actor, director, producer, etc., then this is definitely the show for you. My name is Courtney Jonathus, and I'm your host. I'm a grad student studying mass communication, and I actually spent this past summer working in LA, so most of my guests will be people I connected with while there. For today's episode, I have another terrific guest for you guys. Evan Lewis is a literary manager at Stagecoach Entertainment. Stagecoach is a Los Angeles-based management company that represents a myriad of actors and writers currently working in the industry. Some of Evan's literary clients are currently staffed on shows such as Supernatural, How to Get Away with Murder, This Is Us, and a number of others. Evan, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Of course. Happy to be on. I'm glad. How's your day been so far? It's good. It's good. Um, Yeah, even though we're in uh, Thanksgiving week, things are still pretty busy um, just because, you know, the industry kind of shuts down uh, in two weeks in December. So we're just trying to race in everything we can uh, while the year's still young. Okay. Will you be um, heading out of town for Thanksgiving? Uh, no, my family's local, so I've got, uh, yeah, a bunch of family stuff, a bunch of binge eating, hopefully some napping and catching up on it, <laughs> but, uh, but no heavy travel for me. Awesome, awesome. You get to avoid all that dreadful traffic. <laughs> um, so why don't we get started with you telling us a little bit about your background as far as um, schooling and how you came to be a manager? Sure, sure. Um, so I was lucky enough to... Um, moved to like LA proper during high school. So while I didn't have immediate family in the industry, I did a lot of my friends, uh, parents worked in the industry. So at kind of an early age, I was aware that like, this was a possible job you could do. You know, even in college, I was interning kind of everywhere I can everywhere, uh, from like casting to marketing, to production companies, to management companies. Um, so I was able to get a pretty good overview of the industry just from my various internships. Uh, I went to college back east at Wesleyan in Connecticut, uh, which was fantastic and, you know, has an amazing film program. But I was also able to kind of level that film theory and film production stuff with a lot of kind of firsthand direct experience in the industry. And so the two of those have been, you know, very helpful to me. Um, and then out of college, pretty quickly, I started work at an agency. I worked my way up uh, in the feature list side, first from assistant, then to coordinator, then to agent. Um, and then I kind of transitioned over to management uh, a few years ago, uh, and I've been loving it. I, as far as the representation stuff, I kind of like the way we're able to both split some creative work or some kind of business work and the two way those interact. Um, and so I feel like that's something we're able to do with managers, and uh, I really enjoy it. And what made you want to transition over from being an, an agent to a manager? Yeah, I mean, I'd say the biggest two things. One, you know, kind of temperamentally, I've always been very hands-on, even as an agent. Um, and then also, you know, at most big agencies, if you're in a department, you're kind of expected to stay in that department. Like, if you do movies, you're expected to stay in movies. Whereas I feel like as a manager, you know, you can kind of go where the where it's best for the idea. You know, sometimes it'll be a TV show. Sometimes it's a movie. Sometimes you might want to start it as a piece of IP and then backdoor it into a film and TV project. And so, you know, as a manager, you're able to be just kind of flexible and hands-on uh, in a way that it's a little tougher to do as an agent. 
as a manager, what would you say a normal work day looks like for you? Like, what do you do on a regular basis? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's kind of no typical day just because, you know, a fair amount of it is just responding to what's going on within the industry and with your clients. But I'd say it's usually some split between, um, you know, uh, responding to clients either in meetings or, you know, on calls with like scripts they've written with notes or thoughts on pitches. Um, you know, submitting those clients to try and get them meeting or jobs, um, you know, meals or calls with executives to find out their needs and what they're looking for. And then just kind of searching out potential projects slash IP. Uh, and then I would also say looking for potential clients too. How many clients do you have right now? And what are some of the things you do to help your clients? So we keep our list pretty small. Um, you know, probably the biggest difference between agents and managers is that agents tend to have a larger number of clients, whereas managers tend to have uh, fewer, but be a little more focused on them. Um, you know, we keep our list small because we do really, you know, do the full job. Uh, you know, we tailor it a little bit to which each client needs, but it's usually some combination of uh, development work. Uh, you know, coaching them for meetings and jobs. Um, and then also, you know, just trying to get them those meetings and jobs. And then also, like I said, kind of scouting the IP. So it's kind of, um, and also, you know, looking at the business end and helping with that, particularly as how it connects to the creative work. Um, so yeah, it, it, once again, it, the day to day kind of challenge changes, but you know, there's some people who just do development or other people who are very just kind of focused on the getting jobs and we try to do it all. How do you guys typically go about finding writers to represent? Like, can you take me through the process you guys usually go to, go through to find unsigned writers? Sure. Um, I mean, I am a big fan of referrals uh, just because, you know, we're a collaborative industry. And particularly since so much of the growth right now is in TV and TV is especially collaborative. Um, that you need to be not only good on the page, but you need to be someone who's good in the room and good at kind of interacting and collaborating with other creatives. You know, if you're in a writer's room, you're potentially in that room for 14 plus hours a day, which can sometimes yeah. be a very different skill set than being, you know, the type of person who's, you know, good in their corner writing. Um, and so referrals just show that, you know, not only has someone else read and liked your material, but you've met that person and then that person is, you know, somehow connected to us and somehow in the industry. So that kind of answers a lot of the initial questions we have. Um, just because, you know, frankly, there's sometimes people who are, you know, they're good at writing scripts, but you don't know how much time they had to do that. And they could, you know, be off somewhere having a day job. And, you know, let's say we sent it to someone and that person loved it and wanted to meet with them. And they're like, oh, I'm not in L.A. for like three months. Like there's there's not a lot of kind of job getting we can do with that. So I'm very big on referrals. Um, you know, usually it starts by reading a sample or two. If we like that, we'll try and read at least one other sample just to kind of get the range of the client's voice. Um, you know, once again, I... I'm a big fan of, you know, a bunch of different filmmakers and writers and directors and people like that. And so, you know, I don't, I'm not necessarily looking for someone who's hemmed into one particular genre so much as there is like a clear voice and it's clear what like that voice could do in the industry. So, you know, as much as you're a fan of like a Steven Spielberg or a Martin Scorsese, like they make very different movies, but it's also very clear what a Spielberg or a Scorsese movie is. And so with that in mind, I think it's just trying to pinpoint that voice, um, you know, and what types of jobs it would be right for. And then after that, usually we meet with them. 
sometimes there's even a follow-up reading or a follow-up call saying like, hey, you know, we had great meetings with you. This is kind of our plan for your career. Does that sound good to you? You know, do you have any thoughts on that too? And then if we work with them, then we kind of take it from there. But it's usually, uh, like I said, a couple of uh, different things that we read as samples and then at least one meeting, sometimes more. And would you say that a writer uh, that has a unique voice is probably most likely to stand out? Yeah. I mean, once again, the beauty of living in an industry with 550 shows is you can have a very specific voice and still be right for, you know, dozens of things. Um, and also if you're competing against literally hundreds of other people, it's better to be very right for a handful of things than kind of right for everything. Um, and so, yeah, once again, I, you know, ideally you want a little flexibility in that voice, but I think, um, within that voice, yes, it's very good to be very specific and memorable. Uh, particularly because early on, so much of the job is just uh, getting remembered and sticking in people's minds. And besides having a unique voice, is there anything else that might make a writer stand out? Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's usually some combination of how they are in the page, how they are in the room, their ideas, and then kind of their networking. Um, and, but those can mean a bunch of different things like good in the room. That doesn't necessarily mean you're like the biggest personality or the most charismatic person. It's just, can you work with other people and can you be passionate about your ideas? Um, and like, likewise, the networking, like, it's not like I need, you know, a studio head putting in a call on your behalf. It's just, <laughs> do you show the skill sets, uh, showing that you know how to do that so that if you do get into position where you get that job. You know, not only do you get the job, but can you deliver well on it to the point where that person and other people will want to hire you again? Um, so, yeah, I we try to think in skill sets. And so I'm really just looking to see if you have those skill sets and where else can those skill sets be applied. And then if you're maybe not great in one of those areas, you know, are you like just a rock star in other areas? Because those can kind of compensate. Um, but you generally need some combination of those. Okay. And besides talent, what would you say are some of the qualities that make a writer easier to represent in your mind? One thing that's helpful to me is, like you said, I'm a big fan of uh, filmmakers. And I would say I wish more writers were able to kind of like take a step back and think of their career, like the careers of their heroes. Like once again, if you think of, you know, the people you're fans of, They've probably had a bunch of different jobs and a bunch of different genres, um, but it, there's still a very through, uh, clear through line, and you see how they've gone from one job to another job. And I think sometimes people get overly focused on a project. Like, they focus on finding one perfect script, like they've honed like, they've honed like a perfect diamond, where really the job is going to be, you know, okay, the studio gave us notes. You have 48 hours to turn it around. Can you do that while incorporating their note, while making it good? Um, and also, you know, frankly, the industry is only going to change more and more quickly, uh, you know, as more tech players get into it. Um, and so it's also, you know, is, that's why we try and think of skill sets, because even if, let's say, TV contracts but features expands or web, contra uh, web content expands, then is there something where you can kind of pivot with that? Um, so I think those are, you know, once again, those are kind of the skills that I'm looking for. Okay. And what are some of the things that have made you guys drop writers in the past? 
We tend not to do it too often. Um, very typically, I'd say there tends to be more turnover on the agent end than on the manager end. With managers, like you said, we're so involved in the day-to-day with clients that one, you know, usually if there's a problem, you can kind of sense it early on and try and fix it then. Um, and also you can have more direct conversations with them about how to fix it. Um, but I'd say usually it's because there's kind of a divergence between what we recommend and see for their career and what they do. Um, you know, it's always a conversation, but sometimes we'll say, Hey, you know, it would really help us do our job if we had a piece of material that did X, Y, or Z or in this space or show this aspect of your writing. And sometimes people just don't want to do that or they don't really want to engage or they'll go off on their own and write something. And like every once in a while, it's good. But then sometimes you have to have a hard conversation of like, all right, this is interesting. I don't really know what to do with it. And then that tends to be when the feelings get hurt. Okay. And you mentioned um, agents a little bit earlier. And I know there are some people that have both agents and managers. Can you explain a little bit about why people would have both and what the benefit of having both would be? Yeah. Um, I mean, once again, everyone kind of does this job uh, differently, but I would say generally, once again, the biggest difference is agents tend to have a lot more clients and tend to be more focused specifically on the job getting and the negotiation, whereas uh, managers are kind of much more hands-on involved the day-to-day with fewer clients. Um, So I'd say that's probably the biggest difference. Um, And like I said, also agents tend to specialize in one field. So like if you're someone who does both features and TV and I don't know, like stand up, like you would usually have a different agent for each of those, but you would typically only have, you know, one manager or, you know, if, if a management company is working as a team, like it would be the same team kind of weighing in on all those different uh, aspects of your career and making sure they all kind of line up to the same career goal. Also, as the industry keeps expanding and there are over 550 shows and more and more buyers entering the market, like it just becomes more of a team sport to cover it. Like, you know, back in the day, there might have been a day where there were like six studios, but like now there's so many jobs that like the more people kind of working on your behalf and getting jobs, the better. And also, I think, frankly, you know, once again, if you look at some of your favorite, uh, the people you're fans of in their careers, like a lot of times there's a big hidden infrastructure behind them, whether it's like a producing partner or assistants they're really relying on or, you know, a director producer who they always work with and are very eager to credit. Um, once again, not to take anything away from those people, but just, you know, as these jobs get more and more demanding and there's kind of more to do, it's more about it's important that you kind of collaborate and work with other people rather than, you know, back in the day, it could be a little more individual. Right, right. When I was in L.A., one of the things uh, that I learned is that uh, getting having an agent or a manager makes it a lot easier for you to um, find jobs and get gigs and things of that nature. So uh, what would you say are some of the best ways new writers can go about getting a manager? I am less of a fan of the query letter approach just because, you know, so many of the jobs are in TV and so much of this industry is collaborative, which a query letter doesn't tell me in the way, you know, a referral does, even though like a referral from anyone, like I'll take it from, you know, an assistant or someone I met once or an intern or whatever. Um, But as far as how to get attention, I mean, sometimes 
those contests. I would say the Nichols um, and maybe the Austin Film Fest are the ones that are probably most prominent in the industry. A lot of ones, you know, I frankly, I can't really keep track of them, let alone other people in the industry. And so I don't know how much having, you know, uh, you know, some random cities film festival, third runner up really matters. <laughs> I would say it's more about, you know, right. Having very engaging material and, you know, just having some experience in the industry, of you know, how things get made. Um, and also, you know, that kind of ties back to the referral. Um, and yeah, as, as far as kind of a game plan, if you're someone who's not living in LA, I would say it's better to, have a couple samples under your belt before you move out here, just because even if you get a day job, a lot of times those day jobs can get very busy and time consuming. And often you won't have the time at the end of the day to really do the writing or creating that you would want to do. And so um, and that's fine. But a lot of times that's good to maybe take a little time to build up your bankroll, build up your trunk of uh, samples and then come out here just because so often when you do get out here, you'll still, you'll be so busy between various jobs and networking that you might not have as much time to write until you get hired. Right. And earlier you mentioned that you, you're not a fan of query letters. Would you say that that's a norm in the, in the industry that most managers aren't really like high on query letters that they would prefer recommendations? I think usually those come further. Um, I mean, I think query letters are kind of, from an earlier era where it was more feature driven. Cause once again, if you are like, you could be Antarctica and if you can just write a great script, like fine, you can fly in for one meeting, get the job and then email the rest remotely. Um, but just so much of the industry is not even just television fo- focused, but collaborative. Like if you look at, you know, even a lot of the feature jobs are increasingly being run like, TV shows and hiring TV talent, like, you know, they're hiring the Game of Thrones guys to do Star Wars or a lot of these big franchises like Marvel in a lot of ways are kind of run more like TV shows where they're, you know, very collaborative, a lot's changing on the ground and it's tying into a bigger master plan. And so that it's just much harder to kind of do that job if you're, particularly if you're just starting out. It's another thing if you've kind of built up your reputation in the industry, then you can do it remotely. But if you're starting out, you just gain so much more by being in Los Angeles and and networking with other people. Okay. And shifting gears just a little bit, we know that there are different seasons in the TV and film industry. There's, you know, a pitching season, a staffing season. Can you talk a little bit about when these seasons occur and what happens during these seasons and what you maybe would typically advise your, your clients to do during these times? Yeah. I mean, so, so the biggest caveat is that's very true of broadcast season, but broadcast is a smaller and smaller part of the industry. Like if you're talking cable or streaming, that's year round. So there's much less of a season for that. And that is a bigger chunk of the industry. Um, So these seasons, you know, not only are not as important as they used to be, but will probably be even less important going forward. Um, but for that broadcast season, um, I'll try to make this as compact as I can. <laughs> but the big thing everyone's kind of working backwards from is the theory was back in the day, in the fall is when the new cars would come out. And there would be a bunch of car ads advertising the new cars. And so you would want the new television shows to uh, market those cars. And so kind of working backwards from that, in the fall is when you wanted the new shows on the air, 
then kind of early spring is when you would want to pick those shows up to series. So you would need all the pilots done by then. So kind of working backwards from that, you would want to pick up things to pilot either late December, early January, and then working backwards from that generally kind of midsummer is when the buying flash pitching starts. So once again, it's all working backwards from this, uh, long deadline far in the future, but that's very roughly kind of the broadcast schedule is first it goes pitching flash buying, then what we call pilot season, but is really just, you know, the production of the pilots where you're casting it and shooting the pilot. But then even after that, there's the staffing season where they're hiring the writers for the shows that actually got picked up to series. And then, you know, and even those can be going on at different schedules because some shows get picked up to the fall. Frankly, more often new shows are getting picked up to spring. So sometimes those shows aren't even staffing until later. Um, So, yeah, the big caveat is, you know, it's becoming increasingly year round. But I would say it's generally good to if you're trying to have a new sample for broadcast staffing season, wait until December, January to see what the big trends and what they pick up to pilot are. Like I'd say right now, what we're seeing is increasingly broadcast is getting very broadcasting, meaning they're heavy on procedural and then kind of this is us feel good shows. Um, I'd say those are the two big trends, but once again, you know, since I said earlier, it's better to be very right for a few things than kind of right for everything. If you see, you know, a new show or two is getting picked up that's very specific, it might be better to like really quickly write the perfect sample for those shows rather than, you know, just some kind of generic procedural that would maybe get lost in the clutter. Right. And outside of broadcast, what kind of material would you say is the most in demand right now with regard to TV and film? Um, I mean, it really depends on the needs of the specific buyers, which can be different. But I'd say one of the very big trends is everything's increasingly IP focused. Um, that IP, you know, usually it's a movie or a book series or a comic book series. But, you know, one year someone even picked up like an academic study and tried to turn it into a procedural. <laughs> it's kind of, it's less about it being the IP necessarily being the best idea than the show. Then is it just one? It kind of reassures the buyer that, okay, someone else has said yes to this idea. There's something there. And that too, if you try to market it, because once again, marketing can be millions, even hundreds of millions of dollars. There's some name recognition there and that just helps you out on that end. Um, so I'd say, you know, if it's Game of Thrones or Harry Potter, you have to be pretty faithful, but outside of that, you know, if there's a book and it's kind of related, there might be a play there where you find a way to, you know, take someone else's book and make it into, you know, the show or movie you want. And as, as far as getting your clients, uh, to be staffed on specific shows, what's that process like? Like, can you walk me through how you would usually, um, you know, get your client on a show like This Is Us or Supergirl? Or- yeah. Um, I mean, so the first step is making sure you've got the right sample for that show. Um, and so that can be a process starting earlier. Like even right now, um, even our people who are on staff are kind of pinging them to say, okay, start thinking about what your new sample is going to be. And, you know, are you going to be able to write it over the holiday? So first is getting the sample that's right for the shows. Um, second of all, very roughly, you know, the kind of hierarchy to go through is first producers, then studio, then network, then showrunner. 
you know, showrunners typically don't have time to meet until they're done with their pilot and it's uh, probably about to get picked up to series. So that's the last hurdle. And you kind of can't get generals with showrunners just because they're so busy picking up their pilot. But the other meetings you can kind of be in it ahead of, um, you know, this is where the broadcast season comes in handy is because if something gets picked up to pilot, you've got, you know, six plus months to potentially get clients meetings with producers or studio and network execs ahead of time. Um, and so you kind of start then. Um, weirdly, you know, it can be good to do it while the pilot's in production because, frankly, the network and studio execs, other than looking at dailies, don't have quite as much to do as they do at other points in the year. Right. Um, but a lot of it's just kind of looking ahead of time and trying to connect dots between, you know, the relationships the clients already have, the material they're right for. Um, and then, like I said, it's roughly that hierarchy, though it can go in different orders. Okay. And um, I know when I interned at Stagecoach, one of the things that you told me was that um, – one of the most important things that a writer can do is sort of convey their own unique experience through their material. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how that can kind of help push them over the edge and help them get a job? This kind of ties back where um, I was saying it's good to have kind of self-awareness of your career um, because particularly if you're in television, they're not buying that one script you wrote. They're buying your time and your experience. And you can have a lot of experience that would be very relevant to a show that may not necessarily be reflected in a sample. So it's good to think, you know, not just life experiences. And that's, you know, whether that's, you know, what part of the country you grew up in or if you have like a specialist in tra training, like, you know, if you have a law degree that can be invaluable to getting hired on a legal show or some medical experience to getting hired on a medical show. Um, to like, you know, like I said, what part of the country you grew up in, if there's a certain type of thing you're a fan of, you know, things like that weirdly can be uh, a perfect sample for a show that you don't even know exists yet. But I think the more writers are able to kind of convey, hey, this is my skill set, this is what I can bring to a room in their sample and the way not just, you know, your representatives knowing you, but if an executive read you in a pile of a hundred scripts, would they be able to say, Oh, this person is right for this show for this reason. They have this relationship or set of experiences that could be a huge asset. I think it's, it's good to think about, okay, how am I putting that into my samples in a way that can be reverse engineered? Do you have any resources to recommend to up and coming writers, like maybe some good books or things of that nature? Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of, there's a podcast called The Writer's Panel. Um, if you go, particularly some of the early episodes, those are working television writers and showrunners. Um, and they will be very candid about not only was this my career trajectory, but like, this is what I look for when I put a room together. Or, you know, things like that. So that's very helpful and it's free and you can listen to it wherever. <laughs> um, you know, as far as books, I'm not a giant fan of screenwriting books just because it's, you know, they're more better thought of as guidelines than rules. So I would say, you know, read a couple and then kind of forget them. <laughs> um, weirdly, the one I like the most, and this is going to sound insane, is um, there's, there's an online writer called Film Crit Hulk. Um, and he has a screenwriting book, but what's good about him is he's actually worked in the industry, uh, you know, particularly on the development side. And so one, he kind of evaluates a bunch of the different philosophies behind screenwriting books and will give you some kind of 
good knowledge on those. Um, but I think he also tries to broaden it up out a little bit. Um, cause I think a lot of screenwriting books are built to write like one type of movie or one type of show. Whereas once again, like the very biggest people in the industry have worked on a bunch of different things. And so it's more, okay, what's right for my voice and the type of things I want to do. And that's ideally how you should be thinking of rather than thinking there's one like platonic ideal of a cop script that will get you hired on a hundred shows. Right. Um, like, like here, this is, I'll make this quick, but like one of the examples I always think of is like, you know, JJ Abramson, Joss Whedon were writers who, you know, kind of their start was in the feature business and they were getting movies made and they were making good livings, but they weren't getting the kind of creative control and creative rewards they wanted. And so they went to television kind of before TV was fancy and they used that to put themselves through film school. Um, like frankly, like some of their very first directing credits are for these TV shows. And then not in a way anyone could reverse engineer, but they were uh, building the show running and directing skills that later on would make them perfect for big franchises and Avengers and Star Wars. That, you know, those are much less about being the coolest action director than are you someone who knows how to write for ensembles to jump into a pre-existing world to not only tell an engaging story, but one that can continue for, you know, years after you. And so weirdly, these guys went from kind of unloved feature writers to like running the very biggest franchises in Hollywood. Not in a way you could reverse engineer, but like half following their passion, but then also half building up skills that can pay off down the line. I think that's a, a good way to think about your career, even if obviously you couldn't recreate that path to think, okay, what do I want to do? What skills do I need to build to achieve that? And then while at the same time being flexible enough so that if the industry changes, you can kind of take advantage of new opportunities. Cool. And do you have any more advice for people who don't live in LA, but would like to work in the entertainment industry and move there someday and maybe become a professional writer? Yeah. I mean, like what, what I said earlier, like it's totally fine to spend some time to like really write, really, you know, maybe build up your bankroll because it can be tricky to get your first job in LA. Um, and, you know, but it, it does, I, I'd say once you do that to not put off moving to LA too quickly, because you do, not only are you meeting with a lot of people who will be your network as you all kind of grow in the industry and you all help each other out you also learn a lot, you know, like frankly, if you're on a, on a set and see how that movie or show is made, you realize like the process is very different than what might be conveyed in a book or Hollywood. And so knowing how to navigate that system is in some ways as important as, you know, someone who's off in some cabin somewhere honing the perfect diamond. And so, (laughs) you know, that kind of on the ground learning can be just as valuable, if not more valuable than kind of the stuff you do on your own. So once again, I'm, I'm a nerd. I read a ton of books. I, <laughs> I went to a very film theory-esque film school, but then I also was sure to, you know, spend my time in Hollywood. And even if things weren't, even if I wasn't working in an aspect in the industry that I wanted to be my full-time career, I still learned a lot. And those skills and knowledges and relationships have proven very valuable in this part of my career. Okay. And is there anything else that maybe you'd like to uh, talk about that we didn't touch on? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of just, I just reiterate the advice I gave before. Um, you know, and once again, as, as I was saying about the screenwriting books, like these are all guidelines, like odds are 
your specific career will take a bunch of weird turns and like, who knows, maybe you go to Canada and start some weird VR revolution that ends up (laughs) taking over the industry. Like I'm not saying these are hard and fast rules, but I do think the, you know, the combination of, you know, work ethic, working with other people, you know, being willing to learn, but also, you know, picking a point on the horizon, but then also being able to adapt with the time uh, has served a lot of people very well. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much again for coming on the show, Evan. Yeah, my pleasure. Awesome. Hope to talk to you soon. Thanks, Courtney. Once again, that was Evan Lewis, literary manager at Stagecoach Entertainment. Now, for today's edition of Stuff You Should Read, I'd like to recommend a book called The Screenwriter's Guide to Agents and Managers. It's by a writer named John Scott Lewinsky, and it goes into great detail about what it takes to get an agent or a manager to represent you. As Evan mentioned earlier, agents usually specialize in one field. So, for example, if there's an actor that's capable of acting in films and in theater, they will usually have two different agents representing them in those arenas. So this book really goes in depth and describes the different types of talent agencies that exist because there are different categories for them, believe it or not. There are boutique agencies, big house agencies, mid-sized agencies, so on and so forth. The same goes for management companies. And this book also talks about entertainment attorneys, their role in the industry, contracts, unions, etc. It's only 150 pages. 227 if you include the appendix the appendix section which is very helpful so definitely buy this book if you can it has a treasure trove of information once again if you'd like to connect with me via social media you can find me at courtney j underscore media if you have any thoughts or questions please leave a review or a comment and i'll get to it as soon as possible thank you so much for listening 